Welcome to the ALN podcast series. Today's episode is brought to you by the Andrew James Advisory Group. AJAG provides training in the ISO 55000 standard, and our world-class training qualifies students to take the ALN A55K certification exam, an industry recognition of an individual's knowledge of the standard. Certified individuals add value to any organization's asset management initiatives. Realizing your ISO 55000 vision need not be painful. Visit us at www.andrewjamesadvisory.com to see how we can help. Now, enjoy the podcast. Well, then let me just introduce uh, Hugh Sinclair. Hugh, you can turn on. He's the, uh, um, uh, you've got a new title. Uh, what's your title, uh, Hugh? So I, I am the, uh, good afternoon, everyone, by the way. My name is Hugh Sinclair. I am the division manager for enterprise asset management at WSSC Water. Uh, we're a top 10 waterways, water utility located here in suburban Maryland. And then also joining us is uh, Chris Silkey. Uh, he's from Portland, Oregon, Parks and Recreation. He's the asset management program manager. But we also have Kyle Wedberg, who's the senior manager for research and consulting at the GFOA, uh, Government Finance Officers Association. And it's through the uh, Government Finance Officers Association that we were connected to uh, the Michigan Infrastructure Council. So thank you, Kyle. We were gonna have Michael Demers from uh, Grant Thornton join us, but he was uh, called away by a client. He will be joining us instead on Thursday at three this week. And uh, stepping in for him will be uh, Jim Dieter, the CEO of the Asset Leadership Network. And uh, these are people who are uh, familiar with the Asset Leadership Network, and we wanted them to watch what uh, you were doing uh, in uh, Michigan and then continue the discussion. Um, uh, but before we get to, uh, Hugh is going to start off with some uh, uh, statements. Before we get to that, uh, I do want to ask um, uh, Ryan if he's still around. Um, about uh, choosing to uh, take on the, the role of leader for this uh, organization. He was a non-voting member and uh, uh, chose to uh, take on leadership role, but uh, he might've stepped away. We haven't built John. in bio breaks. So uh, John, I had asked, oh, there you are. Ryan's Ryan. on. I, before he does, can I say something about Ryan? Since Please. I hired him. <laughs> Ryan was a member representing the Public Service Commission, a regulator in the state of Michigan. And one day Ryan came up to me as chairman and he said, you know, you've really made a difference. This effort has made a difference. He said, I used to see everything in terms of loads, electrical loads, utility loads. He said, now, since I've been through this process with you these months, maybe years, I've thought of them about how as households they're now households and families and people and that's something that I quoted many times and I said when he applied for the job I'm on team Ryan because he said that because those of us that are involved in in the delivery of utilities and essential life keeping services know our audience are the people are the individuals and so Ryan is a great guy and we'd love to have him, and we're glad that he made the decision to move over from that other agency to, to the good side. Jim Dieter wants us to really emphasize that asset management is not about assets. 
it's about people. So he would, he would, uh, uh, so, so Ryan, what made you decide to take on this role? It's, uh, it's a big role. No, and I think John kind of led into some of my thought process and my evolution as kind of a public servant. But I think that he really hit the nail on the head. I was really involved in energy and I saw opportunities to improve quality of life of individuals, but I knew I was just scratching the surface. And once I knew how d- deep it could go, and I believe that the, um, the MIC Council really opened my eyes to that is how much more opportunity there is to improve the quality of life outside of just electric and natural gas infrastructure, and to really look at how everything needs to come together to really accelerate that improvement of the quality of life of individuals. And I do look at myself as kind of a public servant. I, I, I realize that there's money elsewhere in private sector, but I really enjoy what I do. And I love stepping up for the citizens of my state every single day. I go to bed with a smile on my face knowing I'm doing the best for every single one of them. So I, I, what John said is really like true to me. And uh, I saw a unique opportunity to really make impacts and um, to make widespread impacts. I was kind of limited to my investor-owned utilities who do take up a large amount of the state, but I felt that I could do better for every citizen of Michigan. And this role really provided me that opportunity to step up and kind of put my put my time and my effort behind that cause and know that it was going in a good direction. And I had a ton of support. Like there's no denying that the nine member voting members and the nine non-voting members, we are a family. We all like share this vision of prosperity and economic and personal prosperity within Michigan. And it was really when you just sit there and you look at the momentum, the opportunity, the people, it was a no brainer for me. All I needed to do was to get some buy-in from people like John. And I knew that like once I had stepped into this role that I, I could I could accelerate and monumentally change the approach to infrastructure in this state. And within that, change people's lives, improve people, improve my neighbors' lives, my citizens, like the Michigan citizens' lives. And there was just, uh, when I thought about, I probably got 30 to 40 more years left of uh, my good working years, and there's no other cause that I'd rather commit them to. And that was just something that um, this job I knew was going to provide me the opportunity. I had absolutely no doubt in the time that I'd spent on the commission as a non-voting member. And like I said, when I was like, when I saw the posting come across my desk, I I just knew that it was where I was meant to be. And it was where that I was really going to be able to really leave my mark on the state and really make change for the better and really and improve every every family, regardless of geographic location, fluency, or anything, I was going to provide them an opportunity to excel through policy decisions that I was going to be able to be at the ground floor for. And that just really, um, that motivates me daily. And that's just, I think, the best way that you can go into a job is being motivated daily, just by the charge, the mission, and the goals of your organization. And I'm just so happy to be a part of the NIC because it just very much aligns with how I feel personally. Excellent. I can't wait for there to be 49 others like throughout the country and uh, six more in the territories. Mike, so, it might be a little helpful to understand a little bit of context in that sorry. it's two years ago last Thursday, Michigan recorded its first case of COVID. And so we did all of this without meeting in together. 
And for a two year period, we had our first meeting back together um, last week. There was, a, there was an abbreviated one, which was a kind of a hybrid of virtual. We also did it without a staff for a big part of that time. And so we have an active committee of people who are actually, they're doing the work, they're not assigning staff requirements and then coming back and getting reports. People like Aaron are taking huge leadership roles in this. In addition to everybody has a day job and every state departmental leader certainly has a big day job, but they're willing to commit to this. I had an example. Yeah. I'm not surprised you're an architect. Uh, you're you're uh, applying the architectural art of problem solving to the problem of the entire state. And I, I really applaud that. And Aaron, through our uh, uh, connection with the Institute of Asset Management USA, we are aware that there is a, a women in asset management group and they have uh, they highlight someone each time or if you're not familiar with that we want to introduce you to them and have you be a strong part of that how did you decide to continue doing this because like john was saying you do have a day job and this has got to be taking up a lot of your time i muted myself sorry um you know it, it does take up but it's really intertwined in all that we do as as a, a regional council of governments working with um, our, our transportation our metropolitan planning organization that we we manage we do asset management for transportation we um, are designated by the u.s department of commerce economic development administration as a local economic development district so we help communities um, receive EDA grants. We do um, a comprehensive economic development strategy, which is a regional economic development plan. And that makes our communities eligible for EDA funding. And much of that funding is for public infrastructure to support economic development. So your industrial parks, your um, skills trade centers. So we work with all those communities and, and asset management is intertwined in all of it and making sure that those investments go in the right spots to um, and, and really make the most sense. For example, you know, we have we have wastewater uh, facilities that have excess capacity in some places and in the community next door is is maxed out on their capacity and we have a manufacturer that wants to expand. Does it make sense to put $2 million to expand a facility when 10 miles down the road, there's a, a facility that has existing capacity and both communities are going to benefit from that because there's gonna have, they're gonna have community or it's citizens that cross jurisdictional boundaries for whatever they do, whether it's employment, whether it's, um, shopping, you know, you name it, they are the communities and the citizens of the communities don't see those jurisdictional boundaries. No. So this is, again, this is also a passion of mine. You know, I grew up in, in West Michigan and my staff is from here. And this makes sense for us to improve the communities. We're passionate about the communities we call home. And this is a better way to manage what we do. Excellent. Thank you for that work. So, Jim Dieter, I'd like you to start off by giving a quick assessment of what you've what you've seen. What do you think? 
Uh, no, that's awesome. Uh, really good. Uh, you know, one thing I really struck me was that uh, I've been a, long been a student of organizations, and just from the, just hearing you all talk, uh, it seems you're obviously an organization uh, that uh, cares more about giving credit than taking credit, which I think is a key foundational piece to success. Uh, so. Uh, kudos to you all for that. Uh, but I, a couple couple thoughts really struck me at the, you know, at the kind of macro level, uh, and really it is about being at the macro level. It's easy to get people to understand, and alluded to it a bit with the legislators. Uh, people understand doing an inventory, knowing what we have, they get that, and you know, often those of us in the asset management professions. Uh, have blinders on and we're only seeing the stuff in front of us and the operational aspects of it. Uh, but it really seems you have tied together uh, very well the strategic, you know, and long-term 30-year plan. God, that's great. The strategic, you know, with the tactical information and other things, uh, you know, down to the operational. Uh, do you have any insights on, you know, how you went about doing that or was that just a byproduct or how'd that happen? Because nice job. I think the majority, and I'll just speak for me, the majority of the input that we received as we went through this process was our, was our boots on the ground, our people. And then there's a couple of messages here. We have to constantly, constantly remind people that the information that you need and the data that you need and the condition assessment that you need to mm -hmm. operate a system are much different than what the state of Michigan needs. The state of Michigan would love to have everything. I have all of that porthole data or all of that pilot data in my computers here in my office with my GIS staff. We spent more time dummying down that information to provide it to the state for what they needed because we have it at the operational level. We know every valve, when it was last turned, every hydrant, when it was built, what it's made out of, every pipe for 750,000 people. And the state doesn't need to know that. The state needs to know at the macro level what the condition is and how they can help those who are actually operating these systems to do better. That's a, that's a statement that's sometimes difficult for them to understand. We're from the state and we're here to help. How are you going to help us? I don't know. You know, so, so we have to we have to work on that because we have to work hard on that, don't we, Aaron and Ryan and and Ian knows because the people who are delivering the product and delivering the services are not the state government. They're the locals and we have to represent the locals. And that's why we asked so many, what are your problems? What are your barriers? How can we do better? How can you work together? Regulatory agencies don't necessarily know that, especially at the operational levels. So um, I think as long as the leadership exists, which we are all of course term limited. I mean, you think about a 30 year strategy, our legislators last six years, our governor is eight. You know, we're talking to a whole, we're, I'm talking to a whole different group of people today than I started talking to when I started this. But we've made it through 
elections. We've made it through a shift from Republican to Democrat leadership at the governor's level. Um, and it's keeping that long message going. Michigan's a mess, we'll admit it. This might not be right, we'll admit that. <laughs> but it's gonna be righter than doing nothing. Yeah. And, Hugh Sinclair is uh, very familiar with uh, uh, the levels of service uh, and asking sure people what's involved. Hugh, would you like to make some comments on what you've heard? And uh, I don't need to ask you too much. We'll just go go ahead, Hugh. I think for uh, I think certainly for what the for what from what I've seen, this seems to be the most uh, integrated model at an enterprise level. Um, that I've heard of, right? And certainly um, in my involvement, I'm, certain, I, I, I'm far more familiar in the water uh, infrastructure space, but certainly that has its connectivity in all the infrastructure portfolios. But uh, you certainly seem to have what would be a, a operational model and a working model that helps to solve what is some of the biggest challenges in asset management. Um, finding the synergy between the different needs uh, that need to be decided and consolidated as uh, pretty much a cohesive model going forward. And certainly I believe it seems that uh, the advocacy that you've been able to capture from your uh, governor's leadership, and then not only formalizing that through the council that you've been creating, but also uh, utilizing the expertise going out into uh, the local municipalities, uh, certainly I believe is a model that should be replicated uh, because you know, we all understand even at the state level, most things are, are pretty much siloed because you have the DOT, you know, you have the environmental protection um, agencies that are there, right? Um, you have every everyone else really dealing with their own camp. And then the problem is, is all of these have competing interests. And certainly, Mike, I share with you the concern that at the time that we're making these historic investments, without really a replication of what they've done here in Michigan, I do believe that we stand the chance to have uh, incoherence in terms of what are the actual collaborative priorities to get those outcomes that are there. Because for uh, for the average citizen, right, uh, there is no difference between saying that there's money to fix stuff and the results of them seeing that that money is not being used efficiently. And I think um, uh, even more than that, what I'm probably most impressed with is that how you guys went uh, towards the basics. Because I think even just in creating what was a common language, which is usually the most challenging part of asset management, right? Uh, I think that certainly is very so much, uh, so much so effective. And, and as well, I do believe that there seems to be the impetus here to go beyond where you are. And I certainly think that there's advantages to that uh, because uh, if we if we assess it. You know, most people, their interaction, even in infrastructure with the health of our infrastructure is the ASC report card, right? Yeah. But then this allows you to take some action on the ASC report card in a collaborative manner. And I do believe that this is something that we should continue to champion uh, and certainly try to replicate in a broader scale. Um, I've certainly uh, agree with, with, um, with our friend here that I've seen it in Canada and it works quite well uh, there. And certainly that's something we should replicate here because we have the funds now, finally. Let's actually use it wisely. So to, can I comment on Hugh's comments? Yeah, Hugh, I think it would be helpful for you. The, the Water Asset Management Council, which is a new stand-up, and it is chaired by Sue McCormick from Great Lakes Water Authority, who you will know. They're the largest water authority in the state of Michigan. 
And so Sue is running that committee and the resources of that committee. The TAMC, the Transportation Asset Management Council is, is led by Joanna Johnson. When we started the 30 year strategy, I had to pick a subcommittee. So I picked, and I told them all this, busy people who are very involved with the work. So our subcommittee of the MIC working the work that started work on the 30 year strategy includes Sue McCormick from Great Lakes Water Authority, the TAMC chair, which is Joanna Johnson, me as the chair, the vice chair, the senior vice president of DTE in the state of Michigan, which is Detroit, uh, used to be Detroit Edison, but the large utility gas and water private, our gas and electric, and Aaron, because of the champions program and the self-assessments. So that committee of folks that are working represent our organizational chart, but also our busiest people. And when I asked the senior VP of Detroit Edison, whether or DTE, whether he would serve, his answer was, I can be on any committee in a regional level that I want to by position. I only want to be on the MIC. I only want to do this because it will make the most difference. And a person in a role like that, whose office is steps away from the chairman, it's certainly helped that he's representing private sector utility companies. So he can make those calls and say, hey, this is okay, jump on board. So, I have one question, if I may, Mike, yeah. that, that, that would be interesting to ask, right? So I know in asset management, we're usually pretty good at the long range. Even. I know that you've mentioned 30 years, right? Um, but as you've alluded to, um, you've been through several iterations of changes in administration, but then also competing challenges with local jurisdictions and their, you know, immediate priorities. Have you been, have you seen the, the, the need to have what would have been a shorter range or a subset of that plan that meets a more immediate window? Um, and what is your update cycle for your 30 year strategy in terms of, uh, you know, do you routinely go in every couple of years and do an update on that based on what you see on the ground? Uh, and how do you manage that, that tension between, well, these are the things that are the priorities now, and those are the things that are 30 years out and the disconnect between sometimes between those two. Well, the, the, we have we have that divided. Ian, do you want to talk about that or Ryan or one of you? We have the 30 year strategy with five year updates okay. already planned and budgeted. OK, our goal, because we've only had one meeting, is to develop the five fastest hit low hanging fruit that we can, understanding we're, we're talking six governors from now, <laughs> you know, it isn't going to be right. We know that, but what are the guide? what are the aspirational goals? We're far more aspirational on everything that we do as we go out than we are on the short term identifying problems. If I can, in the time that I have left, solve the ability of multiple municipalities to work together to finance projects through different bond ratings and cooperation, I'm successful. You know, it's, those are the short-term things. Let's change some legislation to allow different kinds of municipalities, different contracting standards, those kinds of things, um, and then deal with it over the over the time period. So yeah, some I of wanted those to kind of I want to kind of jump in on that too. We, um, you know, we're just developing the thirty-year strategy. We don't have one yet. 
So that's that's where we're going. And we're looking at the short term, the midterm and the long term of what we can do. And, you know, we've been at this since 2016. And this, you know, the, the infrastructure act that was just passed and this influx of money coming in, that is very short term. So we've been trying to balance that, that struggle of, um, you know, John's gotten a lot of calls. I've gotten a lot of calls on, you know, where, where, where's this money going to go? What can we do? What does the MIC think about where this money should go? And that's not really what, what we are trying to answer. Um, we're letting the legislators and, and the local uh, decision makers make, make that decision. But what we want to do is have that influence of how that, where that money is, is, is going to make the most impact and how can we do that? And how can we give the tools to the local infrastructure owners to be able to make those decisions? So, you know, I think the self-assessment that Ian has helped us put together can really help create that culture and, and not only um, educating the, the people in leadership, but making sure we have the data in place and making sure we have the plans and policies in place and it's being followed and the data that we can use to make those decisions. And those the, the asset management self-assessment at the end spits out these spider charts that tells us where we're weak and where we're strong, so we as a MIC can then pour resources into those areas to help those communities. But that, again, is more of the longer term. But I think that's, that's the balance we've been trying to um, juggle as we're, we're, we're up and running and we have this in, influx of dollars. But I don't know, Ryan or, or Ian or John, if you had to add. Uh, you know, I think the short-term, long-term question, Hugh, that you ask is one that comes up almost every day. When we first started, and there was a transition from a Republican governor to a Democratic governor, and the governor actually ran. Her motto was fix the damn roads. And you have roads over your <laughs> dams? Yeah, that was it. Yeah. So fix the damn roads. That was her thing. So almost immediately, she came out with a potential for a 40, 40 cent gas tax to fix the damn roads. Then the barrage of calls came to me. Okay. And I, answered all those calls by saying, that's a short-term solution. We're looking at long-term solutions. And our interest is changing the culture to asset management in the state. So we're not reacting to this two or three year problem. Call the governor's office, don't talk to me about it. You know, that's her problem, that's not our problem. Mm -hmm. With the new money, everybody likes the new money. Whatever the new money is, you guys probably know more than I. But the, the anticipation of the new money that started early in the Biden administration, our response to that was almost the same. I wrote a letter signed by our co-chair of the MIC to every member of the Michigan congressional, dis, uh, um, Michigan congressional delegation and all of the legislator and the governor and said, should new money come, we as a MIC support more investment in infrastructure. Our role is not, and underlined it, it is not to make decisions on where that money should go. That's someone else's decision. Our role is to, is to help the state to make sure that asset management principles are used 
in determining where that money goes. And then when that money is delivered to the local units, that we are following the best practices we can to ensure those investments. That's an excellent transition for uh, to Chris Silkey. Uh, as I said, Chris is uh, uh, basically the asset manager for the Parks and Recreation in uh, Portland, Oregon. And he was part of a team to write an asset management policy for the entire city of Portland, Oregon that was so powerful, it could almost be an equity policy also. Hi, Chris, welcome. And if you could uh, make some comments about what you've been hearing and then uh, let us know a, a little bit about your uh, policy. Yeah, sure, thank you. I, I just been listening for the last half hour or so. Um, so I, I did miss the, the first part, but it's really fascinating. So uh, as Mike said, my name is Chris Silkey. I work for Portland Parks and Recreation in, in Oregon. I use he, him pronouns, um, but I am a, a son of Michigan. I grew up in Southeast Michigan, uh, went to graduate school, had a fantastic inter interdisciplinary education that really uh, set up a career in asset management for the last 20 years, still have relatives in Romulus, Marquette, all over the state. So when I get back to Michigan on occasion, so, so, so yeah, that's right. So it is, is encouraging hearing, hearing about this progress in Michigan. So yay. Um, yeah. So I, I just also just want to mention that the thoughts I'm expressing are my own, not, not necessarily those of the city of Portland or Portland Parks and Recreation. So I, I really like your last point, though, because one, one aspect of asset management that I found is the most powerful with elected officials and when they go out to their constituents and listen to their constituents is to be able to say, we looked at everything comprehensively, and this is the best investment, and here's how we know. And, and to be able to show all the information transparently, you, know, you mentioned GIS, you can do it in a heat map, you can do it you know, in a bunch of different ways, bar graphs or whatever. And, and we've done that and going out to the, to the community and saying, Here, here's where we're gonna invest in this case, it was some bond dollars and it, it becomes defensible. And it's, it's easy to sell a program of investment when you've taken that that approach, especially when it's been informed from community engagement at the get-go in terms of criteria and priorities. So asset management gives you that. Um, recently, Mike mentioned we, we passed a citywide policy and it just passed this last September. And it took us about two years to develop, me and a few of my, my colleagues um, kind of hammered out you know, each word and then vetted it through stakeholders. And, and basically it, it mandates asset management within the city of Portland for, for um, city departments. And then what's happened since then, and, and this is kind of new information, Mike, is we've been able to give a tour to elected officials and, and their key staff of some of, the, some of the different types of infrastructure to really emphasize the point and whether it's something in really good condition, that's a, a great example of, of best practices or infrastructure that's been neglected, it was very eye-opening. And, and we're moving into that, that roadmap and 
how do we improve phase, which will include a maturity assessment, includes a funding assessment, levels of service, and so on. So that's kind of the trajectory we're on. Um, another selling point that I'll just mention for, for asset management is more and more grants and grant programs are requiring that kind of information. They're requiring benefit cost analyses. They're requiring, um, you know, showing of alternatives analysis and, and, and things like that. So it definitely supports readiness for, for, for grant programs, all kinds of federal grants, and maybe even state grants. And I just found out, um, so we passed this policy, went on this tour, and I just found out um, today, actually, that we're going to get $15 million from the state for, for one of those assets that we gave a tour on and is something that Wonderful. needs help. So, so that was really good news. So it does, it does pay off. Um, what is the asset? Uh, Columbia Pool is the name of it. And, and actually, it, the, the business case supports reconstruction. So there will be a new North Portland pool. And um, yeah, so, so that's a really huge win and just demonstrate the value of the program and being strategic both in policy, strategy development, communications is a big part of it, of course, and I've heard, heard you mention a lot about that. So um, a question I have for, for Aaron or, or John or, or whomever is asset management typically, you know, kind of started with utilities, at least the municipal level in, in the US and transportation kind of latched on. Um, I think I only have like five peers in the country that I know of in the parks and rec industry who, you know, are asset management professionals, it's their full-time job to advance it, you know, within, within their program. But we manage the land, like in Portland, you know, we got 15% of the land area of the city, um, almost $2 billion in assets. So, so it's a lot. So I'm just planting a seed out there, you know, th think about your, your regional parks jurisdictions and your municipal parks jurisdictions in this planning, um, not just for natural assets, but when you talk about centering people in asset management, parks are where the people are at, so. Yeah, and that's the, the, the great thing about asset management is that it's transferable across assets and it really can be any asset. And um, that's another beauty of our self-assessment is that it can be used for any type of asset, whether it's land, a building, um, you name it, airports, water ports, it can be, it can be utilized really for anything. And again, it's a consistent way to do that. Um, one thing that I've, I've, John and I have said since 2016, since we've been working on this is, you know, it's taken us decades to get into the situation we're in with our infrastructure in this country. And it is going to take decades to get us out. This is not a quick fix. It's baby steps and we are beginning to take baby steps. And when you look at the assessment, I tell communities, it's okay if you're not even a zero. <laughs> if you're not, if you're not a one, it's that just, we're started. starting, <laughs> we have to start somewhere. And it's, nobody's gonna penalize you for doing that. It's or being where you're at. It just, it's, it's a tool to show you where you are now and how you get to the next level and setting goals. And that's that's the most important thing about it. And I think on the on the kind of municipal and local government front as well, the volume and breadth of different services that you guys are delivering is 
mind blowing. You know, you compare that to a private sector infrastructure owner and it's, it's wild. You know, there, there's so many different things. And to do that, yeah, you have lots and lots of different kinds of assets that you're trying to manage uh, to deliver that service and deliver that end value that you're trying to deliver. Um, certainly in Canada, we've seen a big surge on um, bringing natural assets into this asset management realm. So it's like, right, we exist as a, as a local government or as a public infrastructure owner to deliver some sort of service to the community. Yes, we need infrastructure that we built to look after that, but there's a lot of natural assets that we are relying on to deliver that value as well, be it our water sources, our streams for stormwater management, um, all the land that we're using for our parks and things like that. Like there's a, yeah, a lot that we can do. And as Aaron was saying, like all the practices that we're talking about applies to any kind of assets, you know, whether we're talking about, you know, a tree or a building or an airport or, a, you know, whatever it is, like it's the same principles that roll out. And that's why it's so exciting to be having these discussions at this kind of bigger, bigger perspective. That's what the network is about. And just among the panel here, I can see the connections and I, I am going to be introducing each of you. And I am hoping that uh, Hugh will be introducing the MIC to uh, the state of Maryland, and uh, Chris will be sending his policy to uh, uh, Ryan. And this all sets up perfectly for Kyle Weedberg. Huh? I mean, he's just chomping at the bit to, to talk about this. So Kyle's with the Government Finance Officers Association, which is the entity that connected us. And so thank you, Kyle. And have at it. <laughs> well, and, and, and this is thrilling. So thank you all for, for, for letting me be a part of this. Um, and thank you to, to, to the Mick. I, I, I spend a lot of time talking to people who, Aaron, you were talking about this. They're in that, that to use the psychology term, the shame spiral, right? They, this, they, they didn't get handed something that works. They're managing something that doesn't work. They have the political pressures on them to deliver tomorrow, and they don't know where to start. And so, you know, as I listen to you guys, the parallel I would draw is in the 90s, uh, an airplane went off the runway at Reagan and all of the emergency of vehicles arrive and no one can talk to each other. And they say, this is an intermodal communications problem that we have to solve. And they didn't. And then 9-11 happened. And the same thing comes to bear. And John, you said this earlier and it, and it struck me. You talk to the mayor, you talk to the governor, you talk to the, to the, to the county commissioners, and they say, how many pipes can burst? And they say none. And that's not realistic, right? How many lives can be lost before we take this seriously? None. That's not true. You know, we, we, we have pipes burst every day and all the time. And so um, that, that, that place where you started is we're all saying the same things and using different words. Um, you know, the Tower of Babel moment where like we can't communicate, we can't talk um, is, is striking to me. So that that, that coming to a place where we're going to have infrastructure failures, how do we systemically come to a place where we have less, begins with us talking the same language. Um, I, I'm, really, I'm really struck uh, by a couple of things. Uh, that definitions piece, the dig once, um, I can't even tell you the frustration of watching new streets come up uh, and, and watching, watching old pipes get buried. Um, you know, we, we, we did when I was at the budget office for the city of Chicago, we did some work down this line, but there's just so many jurisdictions that overlay if there is not a really good communication strategy, uh, it's inevitable that you're going to be digging up uh, 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 new streets or burying old pipes. 
um, I really loved, Aaron, I think you said it, um, this idea of fiscal, so Michigan has this issue, um, Louisiana has this issue, Pennsylvania, with fiscal receivership, these communities that have become these new minimal communities that don't have capacity to do things. And I, I'm, I'm struck by, you know, in Louisiana, we had a community, Powhatan, and uh, they were in receivership. They couldn't take on state grants anymore because they hadn't turned in their fiscals because they were not paying the fees and the fines on, on state uh, uh, charges. And what, the, what was found is that for the price of, of, of literally less than a mile of pipe, they could flip their water system over to the community next door, which would have solved every single problem that was had. And just no one had the information or the conversation or the communication, even though those communities live next to each other. So that idea of having a better conversation from a regionalism standpoint, I think is, is vital. I'm also struck by um, the ESG, you know, so this is a new fad, I don't wanna say fad, it is a new and it's the right thing to be doing. So that's underlying the right thing to be doing, but it is a self-reporting on the backside of debt versus thinking about it in the right way, which is, the environmental, the social impact, and the governance decisions that are going into every project you guys just talked about. That, that's an easy discussion about self-reporting on the backside of debt when you've, bar when you, when you, when you've buried that at the front end of all the projects you guys are, are working on. Um, um, and so my, my question, uh, and the stewardship, the, the stewardship you guys are talking about is, I think it's unique nationally. Um, and I know other people have asset management, but I, I, you've just so put yourself in a position where you're thinking about things longitudinally, um, it's actually really inspired. Um, and that journey, uh, uh, to begin that journey, John, as you, as you talked about, um, that's like exercise, right? It's like, it's like convincing someone to, to get on that treadmill the first time. Um, and so my question to you is, what is the economic incentive you can provide for participation? I get that idea of unifying resources, the efficiency, the, 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 the bond validation that comes from being able to speak in an ESG or even the more resources that you can provide because you're doing work better from a state uh, um, uh, pot that is redistributing uh, off the MIG. But how do you get them at the beginning? What is the, what is the carrot to go along with the stick of the governor said you had to? Well, the governor really never said we had to. You know, one of the things that I think we should point out is none of the stuff that we're doing is mandatory here. I mean, there are, at the current time, the only thing is the self-assessments were used as a tiebreaker for a grant project in, the, in our environmental quality department. That's the only thing. Uh, the rest of this stuff is people working together and the business model that we use is just the savings. I mean, there are, if you can save 15% on a construction project by combining the road work with the underground utilities and have some participation in that with the utilities, that's 15% of the project. You know, if you can get to, you know, in our urban areas, we have problems staging road projects. Where do you put it? Where do you put all the gear and all the stuff? Let's work together. Um, and I think in Western Michigan, and Aaron and I know, and we've been doing that for a long time. I mean, we have road agencies that are building roads in cities that, that, that are letting one contract for multiple jurisdictions. Um, when I, a road commission is a unique kind of thing in Michigan, but it, we talked about it earlier, and it, it's the roads, handles all the roads and highways for everything outside of a city. We've been letting single bids in Western Michigan for salt and buying salt for Western Michigan 
delivered to the Detroit docks cheaper than Detroit can get it by building it and doing it together. I mean, I mean, that's a 10 year old number, but I mean, so the cooperation and the collaboration, we just had a report last week from the Great Lakes Water Authority and Wayne County, which is Detroit. Mm -hmm. Wayne County was gonna build a road. The Great Lakes Water Authority took the time to coordinate their construction project with the road, which was able to extend into Oakland County. So we have the city of Detroit and two counties working together to save millions of dollars because you're buying one excavating crew, you're letting one contract, you're, you know, you're dealing with all of those sorts of issues. And I think the triggers for us, you know, part of it is responsibility. How many water main breaks is acceptable? The answer is none. Ian came over with some of his colleagues from Canada and met with a group of us for training. And we learned from like Windsor, she's almost embarrassed by her first asset management plan. <laughs> because it was 15 years ago and it was so bad. But if you wouldn't have done the first one, you couldn't have done the third one, right? Mm -hmm. And in, I made a presentation a couple of weeks ago and I, I was in front of a city council and I said, when my father died, I bought a park bench. Simple thing, it sits in your park. It sits in your park in Portland. How long are you responsible to maintain that park bench? You know, it's a simple question. A lot of places don't have an answer for that. I had a city councilman who knows me really well said, well, John, we'll take care of it forever. And I was like, really? <laughs> for that cost, you're going to perpetually care for my park bench with my dad's name on it? That's not possible. You can't do that. You know, it's so, but those simple examples trigger people to think about asset management and responsibilities and long-term care that they don't think about if they're solving tomorrow's problems or buying a new fire truck. You know, it's a so different in, set of thinking. In the time remaining, I'd like Kyle, Hugh, and Chris uh, to uh, kind of talk about how we can move this forward from your perspectives. What can the network do? What can the Asset Leadership Network do to help share the incredible information that's being done in Michigan? and if you can think in terms of uh, how what they're doing in Michigan should be replicated by the federal government, you can throw that in. We'll go in reverse order. Kyle, you want to go first this time? Yeah, I, I, you know, I've always been a fan of long-term CIP, um, linking it to the long-term financial plan. And I think Chris said it right. You know, this is a box that empowers and enables versus limits. When you come in as the next mayor or the next council and you have a plan, then you're substituting pieces and parts in and out of the plan versus coming up from Tabula Rosa and having all the political fights that go with it. When you link this into some sort of a master plan that comes from a planning background, it has the public voice built into it. So how do you guys take the concentric circles that you're working with and, 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 and get that to that to that meta level? Because people are at all different places as they're starting. You know, John, you said it, the best day to plant a tree is 20 years ago. I mean, that, you know, that there's no doubt. So, so how do you convince people to do it today? Yeah, I, you know, one of the things, and I'll tell you anyway, I'm, I meet monthly with all my mayors and city managers. And when we use the examples that Ian told us about long-term capital improvement planning, every one of them had an example of somebody running for public office because they were going to fix something new and cut a new ribbon, right? I mean, mm -hmm. 
hell, at the city level, there isn't a whole lot of stuff if things are going well to complain about, right? So it's like, they all had that. They all saw that. I stole that from Ian because it's something that everybody can identify with that so you get elected and there's a five-year capital improvement plan and everything's all laid out. We do it now with roads, with things have to be on demonstrative lists and things have to be prioritized. And you can't walk in here and into my office and get a road project funded out of our $130 million a year, unless you've gone through the process. Well, it's the same thing you know, with these long-term capital. Let's solve this stuff now so we don't have to constantly fight over it every election cycle which is happening every two years in the legislature here and two to four in, in cities and, and townships. So that people can identify with that, right? They can identify with the bench. They can identify with the water main breaks. And so as we move out into these concentric circles, and for me, the MIC is here to help and we're not the state. I don't work for the state. I can tell the state things the state doesn't want to hear, <laughs> but I can, you know, and I'm, I'm, we're taking the guide. We are working really hard to keep this local centric, not state centric. And I want to add to that too. And, you know, how we're, we're adding to that circle is through the champion program. Yeah. Um, the graduates are nominating the new champions for the new round. So it's, it's almost an honor as a graduate to be able to nominate somebody. And then it's an honor, honor to be nominated to go through this program. And that was John's idea to do that. And it's, it's really worked. And, and you know, we had, the program is so, has been so successful. They, they get a certificate at the end. One of the, a couple of the graduates put it up on their LinkedIn page, you know, look at, I just finished this and, and they were all excited. One of them got a new job because they yeah. finished the program. They, they were hired into a new job because they had that certificate. And so, a couple got promotions inside with raises. I've got to let uh, Chris uh, make his uh, closing comment. Thank you both. Uh oh, I'll, I'll just be really quick. So, so first the memorial benches, uh, yeah. a few years ago, we, we put a time limit and we said, you get it for 10 years. So I think Good it's 1,000, <laughs> right? right. So, so we finally put a time limit on that. Um, I, I would just like to add emphasis to what Aaron just said in, in, in professional development. And, you know, I struggle. So I, I, I have a small team. I've, I've taught everyone on my team asset management. There's been, there's been no one coming out of university or or school that that has the skill set ready to go, you know. So you so you're kind of grabbing from industry or you know someone who did something sort of parallel. And then I'm, I'm teaching a lot. Um, boy, I would love to have a, a diverse pool of applicants who um, you, you know had the skills right out of college and have a career pyramid for them. That would be fantastic. And then lastly, I would just add, you know, so there's these near-term tactical wins and political wins. But it's also about intergenerational equity, and um, where would we be today had these policies and programs been implemented decades ago? And what legacy do you want to leave, Madam Mayor, for the next generation? 
Do you want it to be, oh, wow, they really took a turn for financial responsibility in 2022 or 2023, and that was thanks to so-and-so. So it's about that long-term legacy also. Hugh, that's a great transition into uh, you. I think um, what Chris said is certainly profound. I think really the, the, the impetus, I think, that, that would drive the momentum for this going forward is that, you know, uh, the U.S. and certainly the Americas had, had really been the champions of infrastructure through the development, through the Second World War, to building out the federal highway network, uh, really pushing the envelope as to what does infrastructure development mean and how do you create uh, a societal floor to which we build on, right? Unfortunately, the model that we built then was so much so focused on a space that had not emerged as yet. And since then, we have not necessarily created a philosophy as to how do we build and maintain on that, right? Um, and certainly I lean into exactly what John had said is that uh, I think we really have to look on this thing a little bit more as a philosophy uh, and not necessarily a decision maker, right? One of the things that at least in my role in turning that took a long time to socialize for asset management is that we make recommendations. We don't make decisions, right? Uh, and that in itself allows the empowering of the stakeholders to be, then become owners of the principles of asset management. So I think in really the extension of this beyond where we are right now, certainly I think we're certainly in the most momentous time as to where this model should really have, have the catalyst to be dispersed. Uh, I think all stakeholders are looking to ensure that what we don't have is that in the next few years where they were asked as to where's the value of return on the investment that was made, that they can't really show in an empirical fashion that we really made an impactful gain on where we are now, right? Um, and asset management simply just comes down to the simple thing. You don't know what you don't know. So let's try to find out a way to, to know what we don't know so we can make a better decision than what we're doing right now. We say that every day. Jim, Jim Dieter, what, what, do you think, what are you thinking about today? I'm thinking all of us in asset management have an enormous responsibility. Uh, whether it's at the national level with the, and we see it at the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, where it really is bipartisan. You know, I mean, people do their yapping on their points, but in the end, it's an, uh, a bipartisan effort. And in these very divisive times, uh, you have been able to do the same thing in Michigan. And I think, you know, maybe uh, this can be part of, you know, getting all of us beyond these divisive times and onto agreeing about important things that make a difference in the lives of everyone in Michigan and across the United States. So thank you all. Oh, I would like to say uh, just how blown away I am by everything that was presented today. And I want to do everything that we can do to help spread the word about what's Michigan is doing and infuse Michigan with what we know is, is doing well in uh, Portland and Maryland and with Kyle. And by the way, everyone, Kyle's already uh, working to talk with us uh, next week to have uh, the Michigan Infrastructure Council present at the Government Finance Officers Association. So the network is, is going forward. But then we also have to work together to figure out who do we present this to in the federal government? Uh, it's past the legislative stage. 
So how can we bring John and Ryan and Aaron and Hugh and Chris to the federal agencies? And, and we'll work on that. Uh, we're looking for uh, any examples uh, or any ideas on how to make that go forward. And I'm just so happy to uh, uh, be part of this movement because it is an asset management movement. And everybody else brings problems to the table. And this group of people are bringing solutions. And thank you to Michigan for having a workable solution that people can say, all right, it takes a while, but we can do that. And Aaron, it's not a baby step. You have made a huge mountainous step and thank you for uh, what you've done. We hope you enjoyed our podcast and we would like to thank the Andrew James Advisory Group for their sponsorship. For more information about AJAG and their services, please visit www.andrewjamesadvisory.com or email info at andrewjamesadvisory.com.